for real stories on how global business gets done. This is Supply Chain Unfiltered, presented by the Institute for Supply Management. Coming to you from ISM World 2023 Conference in Grapevine, Texas, I'm Melanie Stern for ISM, and this is Supply Chain Unfiltered. And um, really cool story, you know, topic we're going to roll out to you today. I have with us in studio Peter Dill, author of Control What You Can, Principles of Purchasing and Supply Chain Leadership. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks so much, Melanie. Um, I do want to start with, I, you know, when when you first shared the book with me and it kind of made me, me chuckle, I, I thought the title is so ironic, uh, Control What You Can. Isn't that converse to today's supply management environments? And, and can we really ever control disruption? What do you think? Well, you certainly can't control disruption. I want to give you just a little bit of background on yeah. myself. I've, I've uh, been with uh, Huntsman uh, Chemical in Houston for about uh, coming up on four years. Uh, been doing this supply chain game for about 25 or 30. Wow. Um, and uh, work for companies including General Motors, FMC Technologies, um, Siva Logistics. So I like to tell people I bought everything but food um, on the logistics direct, indirect side. But yeah, you, you really can't uh, think about um, being able to control everything. And sometimes it certainly after we, we've gone through our uh, phase with COVID and different things like that, we see just how much we can't control. But sometimes you just have to roll up your sleeves, dive in and say, well, this is what I can influence. This is my plan. And this is what I want to move forward with. But how how would you suggest someone learns how to let go of that incessant need to control more than he or she can? Well, one thing I talk about in the book, I've got you know twelve chapters and those yeah. kind of things. One one of the things I hit on with whether I'm talking to some university uh, students uh, or talking at, at conferences, I, I like to think about what kind of sport they may be interested in playing or watching and those kind of things. And sometimes you can get overwhelmed by saying, how are we going to win the game? But other times you have to back up. Let's use a baseball analogy. If I'm the pitcher in a baseball game, my job fundamentally is to take that ball and put it in the catcher's mitt. And right. that's my job. I can't, I can't control what the left fielder does. You know, there's some things, signals and all those other kind of things, but I have to just say, I'm going to play my position and that's what I can control. I can control practicing. I can control training. I can control having a good relationship with the catcher and some of the, and hopefully all the other players, but the key folks I'm going to interact with, that's what I can control and that's what I can influence and I can get better and I can uh, take feedback and those kind of things. So those are the kind of things I can control. Okay. Uh, now let's talk about the book a little sure. bit more. You wrote it during the pandemic, a uh, wonderful achievement. If you could reflect back on before that. Yes. Did you notice a shift happening within the profession, um, maybe the way business was done in the U.S. or, or overseas or, you know, between the two? Well, uh, before the pandemic, you know, it was it was a lot about, um, you know, just in time. Let's reduce inventories, those type of things, whether you're in manufacturing or services or Obviously, certainly more in, in manufacturing, but but there was a lot more of that. Let's 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 cut back inventory. Let's let's be lean, and those things made a lot of sense based on on that environment. So that's the way things were shifting. Um, 
there was still some more, a little bit more, what I'm going to call isolationist things, which are which are kind of continuing as we've heard in a lot of the presentations, including George Bush uh, yesterday morning and those kind yeah. of things. And so that's that's shifted after COVID, and certainly because of uh, some of the things going on in the geopolitical end of things. But again, I can't change what happens in 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 Ukraine or in the South China Sea or those kind of things. I may, you know support or vote or even send money a little bit of money in one direction or the other but but I can't control those things but what I can say is let's develop options let's decide how much I want to pay for that risk if I want to say route uh two different um uh trade lanes of of freight coming in on an ocean carrier those kind of things and say how much am I willing to pay to to mitigate that risk but there's other things I can't I can't uh influence so I'm going to keep coming back to control what I can and how would you suggest someone better better prepare themselves to embrace the agility needed to navigate through that? I, I think you can do that on on, on different levels. Like I'll, uh, everyone has their 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 COVID examples of things like this. I think you can just say, well, what what's what's near me? How can I prepare? Obviously, things you can do to prepare for different scenarios or do what what most people refer to as like tabletop games. You know, say, okay, what if they get the right people in the room or just play those play those roles or you can get people like purchasing. We love to get people from from engineering, from sales and all those kind of uh, groups to say, what would you do if I did that? How would I predict this if that happened? So again, I've been in purchasing for 25, 30 years and people meet people at a party and they say, well, you must be really good at negotiating it uh, with, with those suppliers. 70% of the negotiation I do is with my own team inside my own company. Um, and once that's straight, once you align across functions, we talk about speaking with one voice, like I talk about in the book, and those type of things, then the negotiation with the supplier tends to be a lot easier, and, and you can work from those type of perspectives. So those are the type of things I think about as, as ways to prepare for you know, being agile. I've taught mm -hmm. agile classes. I'm a certified agile trainer. You take input, you make a plan, and then you execute. But that wheel continues to spin all the time, and you've got to be able to just keep re-spinning that wheel, just like Susan Spence and, and some of the other folks talked about this morning. Just because you built something, you may be the very person who has to tear it down and start over. And that doesn't mean you failed. That means that you need to be able to reset and constantly re-spin re that agile wheel and do different things like that. Mm -hmm. Always being kind of in a, a state of readiness, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. So you, you mentioned, um, you touched upon negotiations. Yes. So Obviously, there's cultural differences um, that will affect negotiating. Uh, so what may be acceptable in one country may be not so much somewhere else. That's right. Uh, but how would you say the best approach is to come to a meeting of the minds in those types of scenarios? Well, I, I got a lot of great experience on that, Melanie, because I, I've spent 16 years living overseas, uh, Arabia, Japan, Brazil, Germany, those those type of places. And I don't think it may be any smarter, um, but it's definitely given me a different perspective. Not only those different cultures, which I've you know been excited about and, and I love to be in different cultures, but also how Americans are perceived, uh, how Texans are perceived, right? I mean, <laughs> yes. I, I, I went to work at General Motors and they thought I had had horses and and snakes running in my backyard. And so I didn't even get into, yeah, I grew up for nine years in Saudi Arabia because that would have been way, way too much. But <laughs> but the point is, um, you need to understand how you're being perceived and how they're they're how you're perceiving others. And then when you walk into a room, you can understand those things and say, 
okay, I'm going to respect your cultural differences. Uh, I'm going to try and let you know a little bit more about mine. But in the end, we do have to establish some accountability, a lot of accountability is what we're going to do, what the rules are going to be for the game that we're going to play. And logistics, we would say these are this, these are the logistics providers that we are going to uh, use on this, you know, route from Asia to the U.S. or from Europe to South America, and 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 we just lay that out, put it on a map, and we sometimes we have to arm wrestle or whatever it is to get those things in place. But after that, it's not a cultural difference if someone breaks the trust mm-hmm. and changes accountability. That's people understand that. And, and we got to stick to it as, as a company because we have our personal reputation and integrity and certainly that of our company. And suppliers expect that from us and it'll benefit us. We need to do what we say we're going to do with this supplier. If we say we're going to award this much business, whether it's manufacturing logistics, we need to follow through and do that. If there's if there's an emergency or an aberration, we need to be able to give as much heads up and make uh, keep people informed and keep, keep folks advised. And um, to speak to what you just mentioned... How often have you found that because of unforeseen circumstances, you will have to, I'm not going to say go back on your word, right. right? But more about having to amend something or create addendums too. I mean, is that common and often? Or It, it happens all the time. And and, and I, when I talk with suppliers and, and, and even in personal relationships or those type of things, it's going to happen. Suppliers are going to fail. Things are going to happen. But it, it's more about, how does the team, how does the supplier uh, react when that happens? Are they the kind of supplier that says, well, it says in the contract here, I've got all these indemnity things. I don't have to do this, that, and the other thing. Or it says, you know what? We made a mistake. Sometimes we failed. We're going to make it right, even if it costs some money in those times, because we're looking at a long-term relationship with you, and we realize it's a long game. It's not about that one shipment. It's not about that one one-year contract or three-year contract. I mean, everybody's got to make a buck and people need to maintain profitability and accountability. But I think if we say, look, this is what happened. I need some help. Uh, this is going, this is registering as an aberration, not the way we're always going to do business. Because if, if a supplier continually fails, then, then, then you need a new supplier. But if they have an aberration because of a tidal wave, because of a storm, because of a, a huge flood in Houston or whatever else it is, then yeah, let's, let's work through it. And you got to, the other big part of this, you got to put yourself in their shoes. They want to do the right thing. You're trying to do the right thing. And you both want to look good for your combined customer. And how much would you say would be overstepping that line? Meaning you've got your set um, terms and conditions, yes. right? And and with that, a set of expectations. Yes. And things happen. Yes. But at what point uh, changing the game, if you will, changing what you've agreed to is, is too much percentage wise. I mean, what's, ex- what's, what's okay. And what's would raise eyebrows. Well, it's, it's hard to put a percentage on it, but I would say if it's, if it's, it's a, if, if it's a repetitive thing, if, if you can't, if you can't predict and do your business because mm-hmm. of that, that becomes a problem. Um, the other thing we get into the discussion about, uh, supplier relationship management or SRM. That's why, you have those meetings, you get to know your suppliers. So I'm not getting to know them for the first time in a crisis. So if I have a relationship with them, they know what kind of person I am. That's some meetings. Maybe it's a lunch. You don't want to go overboard with those type of things. But then we, we, we build that trust, like Stephen Covey, the speed of trust. They see an email from me looking for uh, some help or a situation. They're going to say, he's not trying to make me look bad, those type of things. Um, and then, and then, quite frankly, this, this is something else I talk with suppliers about. I never want a supplier 
to say, wait a minute, where'd all our business go? How come it dropped away? I, I thought we had a partnership here. I'm going to respectfully have a scorecard, some KPIs and say, okay, out of the last, you know, getting back to your percentage piece, mm-hmm. if, I, if I've done 100 shipments with you and only three of them weren't on time, that's not bad. Right. Unless, you know, unless we're shipping, you know, gold or whatever else, something, you know, that's going to affect the business massively. Now, if that in, that number ends up being out of 100, you know, 10, 12, 14, 30, then yeah, we need to talk and understand. We also need to understand, and this is what I've learned over the years, sometimes a school of hard knocks. If I get a business leader, or a business unit leader saying, hey, this supplier blew it, and I need you to go in there and read them the riot act. Based on experience, the first thing I do is what? Go talk to my own house. Go talk inside my own 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 house and say, now, what is this supplier going to say if I walk in and say that? Are they going to say something like, well, the reason we're late is perhaps because your scheduling people or your engineers don't give me what I needed till two days before it's mm. due to exaggerate. Right. So maybe we're the problem. So I need to understand that very clearly. And I don't I don't relish or even like reading the riot act to any supplier. I, I'll say this is my perception. This is what we're seeing. What are you seeing? They may say it's it's us. They may say it's a tidal wave. They may say it's, I don't know, uh, some sort of force majeure thing that we need to talk about. And, and are other suppliers experiencing the same thing? That's an indicator that it's neither one of our faults. We just got to figure it out. Is it COVID? Is it recession? Is it Did a bank fail? Those type of things. Mm-hmm. And we can work on those together and then build a stronger relationship. Exactly. So you mentioned the basic principles of supply chain leadership in your book and how they are effective for career growth yes. and team building. Um, but this does it still apply um, when you integrate AI into the equation, machine, machine learning? I mean, do you think AI can replace humans at the negotiation table? And do you believe that there are risks, you know, impacts to ethical practices if we do? Well, a couple of interesting things I've seen. I was looking on, uh, oh, scrolling through through LinkedIn and some other places, and and they li- literally had a video of Elon Musk debating, I don't know, uh, Socrates and these kind of things. So having a debate, I didn't see how those things came out, but you can imagine. And they had video, and they were they looked very real, um, aside from Socrates, but they had two, other characters doing the same thing. So is that is that feasible? Have we also seen things like uh, some of the best chess players playing? A effectively AI and losing over and over. Mm. Okay, so those things can happen. But it's it reminds me of when we first came out with online bidding and some of those some of those tools. They're good tools, but I, I've seen too many and 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 they they have their place for things like MRO and, and very standard commoditized products. But when you start to talk about capex and those type of things, construction projects and more complex things, you do need. Uh, to, if, if you choose to do those on some of the middle of the road things, you still need to do a lot of homework because I've been involved in bids before where, where a supplier will win it and then come back and say, well, yeah, I, but that didn't include logistics. I mean, I'm exaggerating here a little bit or that didn't include this or didn't include that I was going to have a warehouse on your site and respond in 24 hours. So I, I think it'd be naive to say, well, no, humans can always do everything and we're going to be able to do the majority of that that way. I think it is going to take a chunk out of that. We'll see how that works. But I think there's a balance of these concepts when you talk about clear requirements, one voice, how you approach risk, the hidden value of logistics, some of those topics that we talk about, earning a seat at the table. Well, a seat at the table, we've seen in some of the presentations during ISM World here in Dallas and, and Grapevine, 
that's something that's always going to be about relationships, getting getting in on a project as it's in its bubble up phase, we used to say at General Motors and and purchasing, be able to balance their workload and who's going to do the contracting and how many bids do we have coming and those type of things. AI might be able to help a little bit of that scheduling, but really those relationships will always matter. Right. So uh, can you recall, you know, throughout the years of experience, a specific situation when you thought you had control, but didn't? And then once you realized that you didn't, how did you respond and then hence overcome? Well, uh, certainly there have been plenty of times when I thought I had things under underfoot and, and, and ready and a plan and those kind of things. But, you know, who was it that said the first thing that happens, whether it's in war or a fist fight or something, you get punched in the mouth and then what do you do? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a specific situation, but I, I would I guess I would just have to say generally when you, you have your plan, you you try and do those tabletop type things or, or or role play with some of the some of your colleagues and some of those relationships. Again, it keeps coming back to that. What we, what are we going to do here? Let's talk to the engineer when they say they can't do it because of technical reasons. Are we going to be able to respond? And say, well, actually, you can. We've done the research, or let's talk about it. Um, usually, my mode, and it's not everybody's mode, is want to have some of the, the as much research and analytics done before I go into say a negotiation or situation. Um, and if things start to go sideways. I reserve the right to pause and say, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Let's uh, let's think about this, or I'd like to think about this. Uh, I'd like to gather the 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 expertise and the and the folks I have on the team, whether that's engineering, finance, HR, whoever it is, somebody's been there before. Like, you know, my 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 manager's been working for the company we've had for 40 years. He's seen a lot. And so I I counsel with him. And also the network inside ISM, huge plug to ISM. Mm-hmm. Love to have the network to say, have you ever faced this situation before? Sometimes I, I'd rather ask somebody outside my own company. So maybe I can go back and look like a smart guy because I have this network or I've talked to someone else. So again, the pause factor is huge. Um, if there's an emergency and there's not an opportunity to pause, like say a physical emergency where someone's been hurt or plants blown up or something like that, that's when you do have to swing into action and say, okay, Safety first, people first, uh, and then certainly keep your chain of command informed, which we also talk about the book. There's some cases where you're not you don't you're not expected to plan and have three different options and recommend one out of A out of A, B, and C. Those are the times we need to keep your senior, very senior management informed about the emergency and what you're doing about it. Went off on a lot of different directions, but I think that covers it. No, wonderful. Thank you. And I know we've only touched on a few. Um, a few great aspects of your your book and so much more in there and uh, providing so much more benefit. Please let us know uh, where we can get a copy. Oh, absolutely. Uh, control what you can. Peter Dill, you can uh, look it right up on Amazon. You can uh, uh, get a hard copy, uh, you know, purchase to print, or you can certainly get uh, an e-copy. But uh, love to hear the feedback. The feedback's been great globally, sold it uh, in Europe, Asia, South America, certainly a lot here in the U.S., and uh, it's endorsed by our very own uh, Tom Derry right there in the in, in page three. There so. you have it. <laughs> there we go. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Peter. Uh, and to check out more of our real stories that give you some real impact that can affect your day-to-day and your organization, keep tuning in to Supply Chain Unfiltered. I'm Melanie Stern for ISM. Thanks for tuning in.